we have been grafted into this thing called the church. We're chosen people. He says, you're to be a portrait of what heaven is about and a portrait of the coming kingdom, that there will be a time in which he will rule and reign on the earth. And the church is a taste of the rule and reign of Christ. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, for many of us, the word holiness brings a degree of uneasiness because somehow we know that we're never quite where we need to be with it. So how can we change that? Well, stick around for today's Bible teaching. Crawford is leading us through a series titled Navigating Life's Challenges. In a few moments, part two of last week's message, Holiness is Our Identity. We'll be heading to 1 Peter chapter 2 if you'd like to join us there. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Crawford is now retired from church ministry and currently heads a leadership mentoring program called Beyond Our Generation. He's the author of such books as Lessons from a Life Coach, Unshaken, and one he co-authored with his wife Karen called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, if you've not been able to join us for this series, the previous messages are all available to stream on our website, and I'll have more information about that at the close of today's program. Last week, Crawford introduced four portraits that we see in 1 Peter chapter 2. They are that we're infants, we are a living foundation, we are royalty, and we are sojourners. We'll pick it up with Crawford's explanation of we are a living foundation. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. What he's basically saying as he describes in these verses uh, uh, the relationship that we have with the cornerstone, the foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's basically saying to, his, to, to, to the followers of Christ, hey I, hey, I know you've been uprooted, and I know things are, are unpredictable right now, and you're going through some hard times, you're going through adversity, but you got to understand something. You're part of a permanent, a permanent organism. You're part of a permanent structure that is not going to be affected whatsoever. Upon this rock I will build my church. And I think this is what Peter had in mind when he, when he, when he goes through these verses. He's actually, actually thinking of his confession that he made to Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus turned to him and said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I think what Peter is doing here is that he's just rephrasing this for these exiles. He says, no, you need to understand something, that you're part of a living building. No, 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 your homes have been taken away from you. Where you're living might be like unstable and unpredictable, but you've got to understand something. You're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is not going to be affected by time and the issues of man and the persecution of people, that his church is going to prevail. You got to know that. That is rock solid. There's only one source, Jesus Christ, and there's only one spiritual building, the church. And so with that, he says in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Man, this is incredible stuff here. 
Um, notice he says, as you come to him. It is the idea uh, that you don't just come once. It is the idea of habitually coming. It's a habit of believers continuously coming to Christ for strength. It's like he's saying to these exiles, keep coming to him. Come on, come on, keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. I know you're weak, but he's got more than what you need. Come on, come on, come on, keep, keep coming. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. You can take another step. Keep coming. You can take another step. Keep coming. You can take another step. Keep coming. It's not one and done. And then in verse 5, he underscores, you yourselves are living stones, living stones. We keep continually coming to the living stone. And as we keep coming to that living stone, his point is, is that we begin to reflect who he is. We ourselves become living stones. You know, it's, it, we, we're living stones because of our faith in the resurrected Christ, but it's, it's, not, it's not just the faith in him, we are in him. And we've experienced his new life, which is resurrected life. So thus, we too are living stones. And again, as I said, this has to do with confident movement. Peter's saying, don't be shattered, don't be confused. They're not who you belong to. He is who you belong to. They don't give you life. He gives you life. They don't give you significance and joy. No, that comes this way to them. It doesn't come this way to you. I wish we would get a hold of that. Too many of us spend too many years of our lives chasing down the validation of other people that's only temporary rather than the approval of our great God that is permanent. And we are those living stones. Verses 6 through 8, Peter is referencing uh, Isaiah 20, 28 verse 16, but he speaks of Jesus in verse 6 as the cornerstone. For, it's, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What opens up our understanding is, is the word cornerstone and what that's all about. And for those of you who are into construction, you know exactly what he's saying here. You know the purpose of a cornerstone. Um, it's the first stone that's set in the construction of a foundation. It is important. In fact, this stone will determine the position of the entire building. And, G and, and Peter's talking about the perfection of Jesus as the everlasting Son of God. And he's saying, look, you need to know who you're built on. Your, 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 your salvation, your relationship with God, you're part of the family of God. This is not some shoddy work here. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And verse 6 says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He said, yeah, I need you to understand, yeah, you're persecuted right now. They're saying some very nasty things about you. Not only that, they're carting some of you off and they're killing you. And some of you are tempted to be embarrassed about identifying with Jesus Christ. You're tempted to pull back a little bit, go underneath the radar. Don't be so visible. 
But in so many words, Peter is saying, uh, yeah, I don't want you to be foolish. don't want you to go ahead of your time. But at the same time, you need to understand that you're not associated with some losers. You want to preserve your life down here and lose it over there? Really? So he says, look, you, 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 we believe in him. You, you, you won't be put to shame. Our faith and perseverance will be gloriously rewarded, and you've got to believe that. If you don't believe that, you'll always be conflicted. Your actions will always be duplicitous. Peter says, no, you've won. Now, this ain't no locker room speech before the game takes place. No, you've won. We're going to win the game, and we're going to get the trophy. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, when he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we've got to viscerally believe that. To those of us in the West, this is sort of like a, an inspirational, kind of like detached from reality, motivational statement. But for believers in Indonesia, for believers in China, for believers in certain parts of India today, for believers in Iraq, Afghanistan today, this ain't just motivational speak. Their lives depend upon this truth. And to these believers who are scattered throughout the five Roman provinces, their lives depend on the reality that there is a payoff. There is a payoff. Now, there's a sharp contrast in verses 7 and 8. Peter describes the fact that we're connected to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. The building is square. It is sure. It's not going to be destroyed. And there is the ultimate payoff for us. We can hold our heads high. There's dignity that we have, and I'm going to talk about that dignity in a few moments. But in verses 78, he says, okay, I, I just want you to know what has always been true. Persecution ain't no new thing. I just want you to hold on to what is always true. What you're going through is not new. It says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. In other words, look, don't be surprised. The deliverer is also the judge. Not everybody's going to believe Jesus. Not everybody's going to, not only are they not going to believe Jesus, they're going to reject him. They're going to reject what you stand for. Jesus said it again. In this life, you're going to have persecution. They crucified me. What do you think they're going to do to you? We associate with him. I just think here in the West, forgive me, but I just think here in the West, we need, we need, we need an adult Christianity. 
We don't have an adult Christianity in the West. We, we, we've got an adolescence, childlike Christianity that's built on quid pro quo and pra pragmatism, and we kind of like domesticate God and use him to help us to feel comfortable and to validate our wants and desires. And he's talking about big boy, big girl Christianity here. He said, look, you don't be surprised. They rejected him. They rejected him. Our foundation and hope is a source of offense and condemnation for those who refuse to believe. That's it. It's as simple as that. They look at us, say, hey, man, I don't like Jesus, and I don't like what you represent either. So don't be surprised when you are rejected. Expect it. Now, later on, Peter's going to talk about, now, don't be obnoxious. You know, don't blame Jesus for our stupidity. But at the same time, the core issue is there's a stark contrast. You got to embrace that tension point. You got to embrace that. You have to accept the reality. You can be as nice as nice can be. You can be as kind as kind can be. You can be as magnanimous, as big as you want to be. You can be as loving as you want to be. There'll still be people spit at you and hold you in contempt and say what you believe is disgusting. That's the nature of our relationship with them. Because the problem is a problem ultimately with sin. People don't want to repent, and if they don't want to repent, then they figure out ways, ways to justify the behavior and to discount what we believe. So, the first picture is that we're infants. You've got to practice your hunger and your dependence. The second is you've got to understand that you, you, you're, you're, you're living foundation. You're connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. The house is being structured and built on him. And, and it's going to not only survive, it's going to thrive. It's okay. And that's who you're part of. But then thirdly, he says that we are royalty. You're royalty. You know, suffering and adversity has a way of just eroding uh, a healthy sense of self-esteem. There's a sense in which uh, suffering and adversity can, and I, I don't know of another way of saying this, can tilt us over into a degree of self-pity if we're not careful. And you can start believing, I'm not worth much. Why does this stuff always happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? How come they ran me out of town? How come I can't go back to Jerusalem? Why am I here in exile? I'm a good person. I must not be that valuable. Not only am I living here, but I've become a slave. What's up with this, man? And you start questioning your value. You start questioning your worth. And I think this is in the back of Peter, Peter's mind when he writes these words. Whoa, 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 whoa. What has happened to you does not change God's view of you. In fact, what is happening to you has underscored his view of you. So let me tell you how God looks at you. The overarching thing of verses 9 and 10, if I would summarize it, is that uh, uh, this has to do with our identity and witness and who we're related to. And basically, he's saying we have holy dignity. 
Dignity is not necessarily pride. Dignity has to do with a confident assurance of your value and your worth to God. You have been saved for eternity, placed into his family, and so he articulates who we are. Now, I will have to say this, verses 9 through 10, sometimes we over-personalize this. I think in its context, uh, Peter is, uh, although this is true of us individually, Peter is primarily speaking of the church corporately. And he's saying, this, this is who you're associated with. He says, number one, in verse 9, who we are. He says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. This is a picture of God's coming kingdom. And I think in not so subtle ways, he was reminding, reminding the readers, hey, hey, look, look, look. You're to be a portrait of what heaven is about and a portrait of the coming kingdom, that there will be a time in which he will rule and reign on the earth. And the church is a taste of the rule and reign of Christ. Then he says, what we do, what we do. It's that line in verse 9, it says that we proclaim the excellencies that has to do with the qualities of our great God and the evidence which are evident in our lives. We proclaim them both in terms of how we live, but we also proclaim them with our lips. That's why you're there. That's why you're there in Cappadocia. That's why you're there in Pontus. That's why you're there in Galatia and Bithynia. That's why you're there. 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 You're not there to get in the fetal position. You're not there to check out. You're not there to cry yourself to sleep at night. You're there. You're there. You're there as a portrait of the kingdom of God. He says, the fourth and final picture is that we are sojourners. He actually sort of, I think, and I can't prove this from the text, but I think in the broader context, he's actually kind of saying, you know, in a very real sense, the fact that you were mobile and have been extracted from your homeland really is a picture of your Christianity. He says in verse, uh, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Again, he's picking up the whole idea of being decisive about sin in our lives, being impatient with sin in our lives. They hate it. And the reason here he's saying, okay, my argument here is that we're just passing through. We, we, are, we, are, we are just passing through. And this whole idea of being a sojourner, being, being one that is passing through, the emphasis that he has here, it has to do with loyalty and attachment. But by attachment, I mean attachment to where we're going, not attachment to where we are. We're loyal to where we're going to be. We're loyal to who's taking us there, and we're attached to where we're going. The word sojourner comes from the Greek word uh, peroikos. Peroikos, it means a resident foreigner. Yeah, we live here temporarily, the idea of living in a place that is not your home. This doesn't belong to us. We, we're not, this is not it. I've said this before. We are just passing through this joint. We are sojourners. We are moving someplace. Oh, it's like that movie, The Book of Eli. The character's moving through play, going through dangers, going through toil, going through trials, going through all kinds of things. We're headed somewhere, and we're just passing through this place. We're exiles. It's a reference to their persecution. 
And I think verse 11, what he tells us is, look, don't, don't, don't feed the longings. Don't feed the longings. Don't feed the temptations. Um, abstain. Hold yourself back from it. And by all means, and this gets back to the thesis statement back over in chapter 1, verse 16, be holy for I am holy. He says here in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that you, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, the expression, keep your, among the Gentiles, honorable, keep your behavior honorable, he says, don't, don't just talk about what you can get away with. He's saying, no, 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 don't just be get-by Christians. Be honorable. Love the people who are busting on you. Don't be a cranky believer. Don't be a complainer. Don't be nasty. Be noble. I was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, first 12 years of my life, and then we moved to Plainfield, New Jersey. Although I was born and raised in the North, my mother kept a kosher Southern kitchen. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you came to our house, you ain't eat no cream of wheat. You had grits. And you ain't had no, you know, you ever been up north and, and seen their sorry version of grits, how they try to make them? They look like soup. Runny grits are awful. I mean, you had firm grits, you know. We didn't eat baked chicken and grilled chicken growing up. You had to fry that sucker. I mean, it just, you know, that, that was greens. We ain't talking about, you know, was that, shard or, or, you know, the frou-frou stuff. We're talking about collards and, you know, kale. And ain't talking about raw kale. No, we're talking about kale with fat back in it. And, and, and you know, that's what we're talking about. All right. Kosher diet. Don't change your menu because you live down here. Let's remember who we belong to and where we're going. Holiness is our identity, the title of today's message by Dr. Crawford Loretz. We looked at four portraits that we find in 1 Peter chapter 2. Here they are again. We are infants. We are a living foundation. We are royalty. And we are sojourners. Crawford is leading us through a series called Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. Now, there are many messages ahead in the series, so hope you can join us each week at this time on radio or listen to past programs online. Thanks so much for your emails. We heard recently from Lori, who says, I listen to your program on Faith Radio and look forward to hearing it every Sunday morning. Thanks so much. Well, good to hear from you, Lori. And here's one from Teresa. Dr. Loritz, I want to let you know how encouraging your sermons are to me. I try never to miss one and often listen to them on my way to church. Thank you for always preaching the truth. As Charles Spurgeon said, preach the truth whether it fills up the house or clears it out. God bless you. Well, thanks for your email, Teresa, and thanks for listening each week. Well, we'd love to hear from you, too. Here's the address, legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. If you weren't able to hear all of today's message, it's on our website. Look for the past programs link at livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for studying with us today. 
Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.